Thank you, Stephanie. I'll invite you to turn again to Hebrews chapter 10, where we've been the last few weeks. We will continue here in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. We're getting to know these verses pretty well, I hope, if you've been with us here in-house or online. I welcome those who are tuning in and just encourage everybody to look with me now at our passage. I will read it again, and then we will begin to draw some more application. I hope if you've not been here, that you'll be able to go back and, and view some of the previous messages, because I think it's important to pull this together. Um, a lot of things have been uh, laid in the way of uh, foundation to where we are getting to today, uh, so it would be helpful to get some of that framework, but... Um, certainly there's encouragement for us as well if this is your first step into this series. But the question I'm asking is, how is your life with God? How is your life with God? And I want us to look at this now together. Verse uh, 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, I thank you for this encouragement for us today. I thank you that Jesus Christ has opened up this way, a new and a living way, for us to know you and to be reconciled to you. And I thank you that we do this together. So Lord, together this morning, I pray that you will help us to see you more clearly, to see your way more clearly, and that we will live life with you as you have created us to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do we live this out? We are at the application uh, stage of this of this series, and we've been uh, looking very closely at this text the last three weeks. But I just want to kind of, in the way of review, touch on a few highlights from from where we've been. But it it it, it tells us that we are uh, to have confidence. Verse nineteen: as we enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus that a new and a living way has been opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and that he is our, our, our great priest over the house of God. Jesus Christ is our, the sacrifice for our sins. He is the priest. He is the temple. He is, he is everything we need to come into God's presence, to know him, to live with God. It is by his blood that we are forgiven and made whole. It's not by our efforts or our own works, 
It is by his grace and his mercy in this gift of his life. And I just, you know, we, we, we emphasize that every Sunday. And it's amazing every Sunday to think about that. How great a gift of Jesus Christ. And so on that basis... There are these instructions to us together. Let us draw near with a true heart. Let us, verse 23, hold fast to the confession of our hope. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Verse 25, let us not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. All of these things are, are things that we're called to as a result of what Jesus did for us. And notice the pattern. It's, it's all about us together seeking these things. Let us hold fast. Let us draw near. Let us stir up one another. Let us not neglect to meet together. This is a one another thing. And we emphasized last week, God knows nothing about holy solitaries. We are in this together. And that emphasis in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. And how important that is for us now, more than ever, to emphasize that. The, the importance, the significance of us being together in our worship. And I hope you celebrated with me. If you hadn't seen it yet, you can celebrate it with me now. The Supreme Court's decision on Friday on behalf of our brothers and sisters in California telling them you got to open up the church doors and let the people in. I mean, there have been churches there that have been uh, told they can't gather for worship for going on nine months now. And as I read about it in the newspaper this morning, uh, of course, they had to quote the pastors of the churches that are still refusing to meet. And I heard one pastor say, well, we're not going to gather yet because we're going to follow the science. We're going to follow the science. And I thought to myself, what science are they following? I mean, I, I believe and I'm confident in, in, in so much of what science does for us. I am not anti-scientific, but if you want to follow the science, let's look at the science. Nine months we've been worshiping together here at Highland Free Methodist Church. Infection rates are now plummeting, and I don't know of any transmissions of COVID-19 here among us in those months that we've been worshiping together. So at what point do we start to say, we need to meet together? And the scriptures tell us to meet together. And it's good to see us being able to do that more and more across this country. But um, the Sunday morning gathering, uh, worshiping together, is, is so vital to all of these, these things that we have looked at. Drawing near, holding fast, uh, stirring up one another, love and good works, uh, encouraging one another. And as we gather together for worship, there are times when we just experience God's presence in ways that we don't at other times. Whether it's through the music, as we sing, as we worship the Lord and um, as we pray together, isn't that just a, a great time of encouragement for you? I hope it is. I know I am encouraged. Um, or, or when we open God's word and we, we, we 
allow it to be applied to our hearts. And, and God speaks directly to us in situations where nobody else knows about what we're dealing with, but God's word does. And we're, we're convicted or we're encouraged or we're motivated. Or when we share in Holy Communion together and we realize we're in a time of doubt or trial or temptation and, and God's grace is, is, is working in us through those times together to, to help us overcome. Or when we see friends that we haven't seen in a while and, and we're encouraged because it reminds us we're not alone in this. There are so many ways that we are built up and encouraged and strengthened when we meet together like this each Sunday morning. But there are also things we miss when we're together in a large group like this. And I would say the larger the group, the harder it can be to get certain things that, that we need that are so vital for our faith. Because the larger the group, the less we each participate. It's just a simple rule. I mean, we can't all participate at the same level when there's more and more of us. And, and so we start to become more of an audience instead of a community. The larger the group, the more isolated we can become. We, we look at the platform instead of looking at one another. Or the larger the group, the fewer the people we might really get to know. You, you kind of feel lost in a crowd sometimes, and it's easy to slip in and slip out real fast and maybe not talk to others, and you just sort of feel like you're being herded in and herded out, and yet we need something more than that, don't we? And the larger the group, the less we tend to bear one another's burdens. There's just no way you can open up or offer support when there's a crowd of people that you don't really know. So we need something other than just this, where we are right now, to, to fulfill what Hebrews 10 is telling us. And the model of the church that we find in the New Testament really doesn't involve big auditoriums or massive cathedrals where, where thousands of people gather. There's, I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. There's... there's some ministry that is had there and, and that is special. But the New Testament consists mostly of people gathering in homes and in smaller groups. When you look at the design we have of our large worship gatherings today, it probably follows more after stage productions than what we see in the New Testament. And again, that doesn't mean it's all wrong or that we shouldn't do things this way. I mean, there are certain practical things that, that allow this to work, but there's something else that we need if we're going to be growing in our faith and living the kind of life that Hebrews 10 calls us to. What are we missing? Well, we need the smaller group, and that's where this has been pointing us all along. This gathering together this encouraging one another, this stirring up to love and good works is something that we need to do in a group where we can each participate, where we can each uh, speak up and say something, where we can each get to know the others in a better way, where we can help each other out, even um, 
outside of just that group meeting. Maybe there's something we can assist one another with, with our, with our encouragement or our words or sometimes our challenge and the accountability or, or just with actions and with service and with love. We need a place where we can get together and, and, and stir up one another to love and good works, to share our faith or to serve people in our community or in our neighborhoods. We need to challenge each other to grow in our walk with God. And it's not just me challenging all of you, but it's us challenging one another. That is the life of the church. That is where the power of the Holy Spirit is is most effective. That's where the gifts of the Holy Spirit become most evident as we work together. Here in the Methodist Church, we often talk about John Wesley and um, the work he did as he started what became known as the Methodist movement. It comes out of that time in history known as the Great Awakening, and there were um, fascinating things happening both in in England and Great Britain as well as in North America and in the, the American colonies during that time of the Great Awakening. It was a time when many of the established churches had really lost the, the fire and the conviction. And it was often ritualistic and uh, highly structured. And, and in many ways, the, the people, sort of the common people in the communities didn't even go anymore because it just, they couldn't connect or understand or identify with what was going on. And out of that come these, these, this tremendous revival. And it started with a lot of field preaching, which Wesley was extremely opposed to at first. But his friend George Whitfield said, John, you got to give this a try. It's amazing. Uh, Wesley was pretty uh, old school and thought he could only preach in a church until he finally decided, all right, I'll give this a shot. And people began gathering by the thousands out in open fields to hear the gospel proclaimed. And many came to faith that had never heard the truth before. And so revivals were were starting in both England and, and in Great Britain and in the colonies in North America. The Methodist movement in America barely existed in 1776. There was just a tiny number of Methodist churches. By 1850, more than one in three Christians in America called themselves Methodists. And this was due to a number of things, partly the the incredible dedication of the circuit preachers. And I love to tell the story of the early Methodist circuit riders. They were willing to plant churches anywhere on the frontier. Anywhere people were settling, they would start a church. And they didn't have enough pastors, of course, to fill all these churches, especially since they were so small and so remote. So the circuit preacher had a horse, and he would ride from town to town to town and preach at every point he could. The average lifespan of one of these circuit preachers was less than 30 years. Most of them made it seven or eight years in the ministry before they died because of the extreme exhaustion or uh, disease or whatever else it was that they suffered as a result of their efforts. That was one of the vital reasons why the Methodist movement uh, took hold so well in, in, in America at that time. But there was one other factor, probably more important than that. And it's what they used to call the class meeting. 
the class meeting. And that's kind of a funny word to use today, but it's basically the small group. The Methodists were big on small groups, and they called them class meetings at the time. But I, I, I introduced this thought a little bit last week. The goal of the meeting was to watch over one another in love. That if you were going to be a part of one of these early Methodist churches, you had to commit to this idea of watching over one another in love. To help one another grow in their walk with God. And they had three simple rules. Do no harm, number one. Do good, number two. And attend to the ordinances of God, which is basically make sure you, you read your Bible, go to church and pray and uh, serve others. Do, do the things that a good Christian ought to do. And they want to hold each other accountable to this. And so they form these class meetings to get together once a week to encourage each other in love to grow in their walk with God. It wasn't centered around a certain kind of curriculum. It's not like these groups were how to parent your kids or, you know, how to have a better marriage. I mean, those are all good. They weren't having even specific Bible studies, like this is going to be on 1 Corinthians this month, or this is going to be on uh, the life of David. They would study the Bible, surely, but there was something else at the heart of these class meetings. They focused on the simple question, how prospers your soul? That was the way they asked it. How prospers your soul? Now, I doubt most of us would understand kind of how to answer a question worded like that. But we could word it differently. It's no different than saying, how is your life with God? How is your life with God? Could you answer that question with a group of seven, eight, nine other people on a weekly basis? Honestly? And I'm not saying you pour your guts out and expose every deep, dark secret of your heart. But can you just say, hey, you know, my soul's been struggling this week. Or I'm really excited about what God is doing. I think about the Psalms. And if you, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the Psalms for just a moment. Because the Psalms are really 150 answers to that question. What, how prospers your soul? Look at Psalm, I'm just going to give you two examples. Psalm 34. Psalm 34. How prospers your soul? Well, what does David say in answer to that question here? He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. How would you say David's soul is prospering here? He is excited about what God is doing. He can taste and see that the Lord is good. His, his soul is exalted and boasting in the Lord. But turn over a few pages to Psalm 42. Here we hear a different tune. This is 
uh, a, a psalm of the sons of Korah. But let me just share a few verses from that. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You can see here that our souls may be in different places at different times. But God wants us to be able to express something of where our soul is at to help us grow in our faith and in our walk with him. The revivalists at the time of the First Great Awakening, the primary leaders were, were John Wesley and, and George Whitfield. And of the two, George Whitfield was maybe the more effective revivalist. Probably drew larger crowds, and, and maybe if they were keeping numbers, he might have seen more people saved as a result of his preaching. But John Wesley made it uh, a necessity that they organize, after coming to Christ, into these class meetings, into these smaller groups together. And that is what formed the Methodist Connection. And towards the end of his life, George Whitfield said this. He said, my brother Wesley acted wisely. The souls that were awakened under his ministry, he joined in class. That's what they called their small groups. He said, and thus preserved the fruits of his labor. Whitfield said, this I neglected, and my people are a rope of sand. He recognized the loss of not connecting people into the groups that would allow them to encourage one another in the growing in their faith. It reminds me of just how important this is, that we meet together, not just as a congregation, but in groups of some kind. People object oftentimes, and there's often, there, there are a lot of objections I hear. One of them is, my calendar is too full. My calendar is too full. I can't just fit another meeting in, a, in my week. Well, we make time for what's important, don't we? We all get the same number of hours in a day and the same number of days in a week. It's just a matter of how we decide to use them. Others might say, we don't know what to do with the kids. I understand that. Uh, but we can be creative, can't we? We can find ways. Here's another common practical objection I hear. There will be someone there who annoys me. Get over it. We can all be used uh, to help one another. Some might say, I don't know much about the Bible. Good, that's why you come. And we will be there to encourage you and to help you, not to make you feel like you don't know what much about the Bible. Or others might say, my faith is private and personal, and I don't really want to talk about it with others. Well, 
you're not going to grow very much. In fact, you're going to go the wrong way if that's how you view your faith in God. Because, as, as I said already, God knows nothing of holy solitaries. We are in this together. Others might say, I might feel judged by others in the group. Remember what the group is for. It's to help you grow, not to let you wither. And so if you were already perfect, you wouldn't need to come and we wouldn't expect you to. But if we can come to a place where we care enough to speak the truth to one another, I think we'll all benefit and we'll all grow. So what does this look like going forward from here? I do not have an elaborate plan to roll out. I don't have a board full of sign-up sheets and a schedule ready to go. This is not where this is heading. And, and we already have various groups that meet and gather. It's not like we don't have small groups. But I want us to focus more than ever on this question. How is your life with God? I want you to be able to ask and answer that question in the groups that you have. I want us to do that among us as leaders. And as we've been gathering with the pastor's cabinet or with the board or with the ministry team, I'm asking this question of our leaders. I want it to become a part of how we gather. How is your life with God? Can you answer that question? It's a profound one. And it can be asked in many different ways. I mean, how have you seen God at work in your life this week? What has God shown you that you need to, to change in your life? Or, or how have you been encouraged? Or how have you struggled? There are, there's, there's so much we can encapsulate in that one question. How is your life with God? How does your soul prosper? And I see new groups forming. Men and women. Uh, Groups, maybe a, a weekday morning, some gathering together for coffee or some guys getting together early for breakfast. Uh, maybe, um, I, I, I just, I don't know. There could be a lot of options for where this goes. I'm throwing it out there because I am convinced, absolutely convinced that God is calling us to go deeper together and that we need to do it more in smaller groups. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the way you designed us personally and as a church. I, I know that there are things that intimidate us sometimes and we would get comfortable in our routines. But Lord, shake us and help us to grow. Help us to open up. Help us to trust each other and to trust your spirit at work among us as we answer this question to one another. How are we doing in our life with you? Thank you for your grace that makes us whole. In Jesus' name, amen.